Hello, and welcome to tomorrow's Supply Chain Podcast brought to you by QAD. Tune in alongside a global audience as industry leaders discuss best practices and critical issues impacting supply chains today and tomorrow. Today, we'll be discussing the concept of an adaptive supply chain and what that really means. My name is Laura Monroe, and my co-host is Stephen Dombrowski. Thanks, Laura. Very excited to be here, and I'm excited to introduce our first guest, Carter Lloyds, Chief Marketing Officer at QED. Carter, thanks for joining us today, and uh, give us a little background about yourself so our listeners uh, can uh, get excited about what you're going to talk about today. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Um, more than my experience, I think it's my passion. So ever since I was a little kid, I remember thinking about these great products that we deal with for example, a computer on your desk and realizing that everything that we interact with originally came from a hole in the ground. So at that point, supply chain and manufacturing just seemed like magic to me. And over the years, I've learned that it's not really magic. It's a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck, um, but we can improve our luck. So for the last 18 years, I've been working hard with supply chain leaders and manufacturing to deliver tools and best practices to make that process just a little bit easier. Along that path, I've been certified in inventory management, supply chain, and supply chain operations reference by the Association for Supply Chain Management. And my educational background is in business strategy and accounting, but the accounting part's not that interesting, so I don't really like to talk about it. Well, that's excellent. Thanks, Carter. So let's jump right in. Um, one word that's getting used more and more every day, disruption. Supply chain disruptions are occurring uh, more than ever before. The market's very volatile and uh, impactful. And I've heard you recently say that for a manufacturer to compete, not just today, but for tomorrow, they need to be adaptive. And we talk about the adaptive supply chain. But like any term, that could have a number of different meanings. So give us an idea of what do you mean when you talk about the adaptive supply chain? Uh, sure. So I think when we think about how supply chains have been architected for the last 20 years, they've really been designed around efficiency. And that worked great until it didn't. And, you know, we live in a world now where um, a lot of the supply chain discussions not only happen at work, but they happen at home and they're usually complaints by your family for what they can't get when they need to get it. And so we have a vision for an adaptive supply chain. And, and the definition of that is that facing disruptions in supply and fluctuations in demand Supply chains seamlessly optimize agility, efficiency, and resilience for effective customer service. And there's a lot in that. So maybe just to unpack it, efficiency, we're talking about, you know, how can we reduce costs, increase margins, and give us some flexibility in our pricing. Agility, the ability to be able to flex, let's say, up or down by 20% as demand changes or product mix or geographic mix. And then nowadays, most importantly, resilience. So what do we do when something breaks in that supply chain? And we're doing this all for effective customer service. And that's really that promise that you make to your customers. So deliver the right product at the right price at the right time. And in today's world, if we don't know what tomorrow looks like, but we know it's going to be different, the best thing that we can do is to uh, build a capability to be adaptive. So Carter, does that mean that just-in-time strategies are really a thing of the past or can just-in-time be a part of an adaptive supply chain? Uh, it's a good question. It's really about understanding and mitigating risk. Um, so there's sort of been this fallacy that you can optimize for efficiency, agility, or resilience. 
Um, and that's almost like the tyranny of or. In truth, there doesn't need to be an or. It can be an and. You can seamlessly optimize for all three at the same time and reinforce each other. But to do that, it's really about uh, best practices and following best practices within the supply chain. So it sounds easier said than done. So just in time, people do think it's a thing of the past, but just in case, as you're alluding to, how do we get that blend? How do we get that mix? Yeah. And, and just to that point, you know, I think people still want it on time, right? Um, and they still want it at a certain price. So yeah, how do we simultaneously optimize all three? And let's just take one example within supplier relationship management, some of the best practices that we could do. And let's look at multi-sourcing. So some people would say, hey, if I can single source everything and do it at volume, I can get a discount. Um, I don't think that's really true, right? So if you multi-source, you're dealing with multiple suppliers, you're understanding what the best price is and you're creating some competition, right? So you can drive down that cost and increase efficiency. You can also be much more agile. So you've got different suppliers around the world in different places and you can start to think about exshoring. And so uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, you can offshore, you can onshore, you can nearshore, you can create regional supply chains. It gives you that flexibility depending on where your demand is geographically from a product perspective so that you can be agile and move around. And then of course, if you've got multiple sources for supply, you no longer have a single point of failure, right? So if something breaks, you can all of a sudden move the rest of that supply to other suppliers without overwhelming them because it was such a huge amount. So just that one example within supplier relationship management of multi-sourcing allows us to optimize agility, resilience, and efficiency at the same time. So Carter, do you think certain industries will find it easier to leverage adaptive supply chains than others? And, you know, the automotive supply chains, for example, are they're pretty high complex. And Laura, that's a good point. I'd like to just jump in and add, um, if you add in food and beverage manufacturing, you're offering offer uh, dealing with issues that aren't, you know, in your control, like weather events, poor crops, and those type of things. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. And I would say it's, it's much harder in some industries than others, but oftentimes in those harder industries, there's a greater need for it, right? So the automotive supply chain, Laura, as you were saying, is one of the most complex in the world. If you shut down an automotive line, the cost of that is $22,000 per minute. So the stakes are super high. You've got bullwhip effects, and we're seeing that right now in our economy across different industries where all of a sudden, you know, there was a shortage. And what did everybody do? They started double and tripling ordering. Now inventories have kind of ballooned and they're, they're trying to move all that inventory into discount. So uh, basically, it's happening everywhere, right? And, and how do we manage this? And I think even, Steve, to some of your points, um, we may not be able to control everything, but there is a role of technology to basically overcome some of these challenges. So if we look within food and beverage, um, the largest agricultural producer in the world is the United States. The second largest is the Netherlands. And that might seem strange given its, its size and sort of its location with respect to weather, uh, but they're innovating in indoor and vertical farming and robotics, uh, robots to pick fruit and investing heavily in the education of their workers so that they can be more productive and efficient. So I think, uh, I think there are, are multiple different areas and across all different industries, although it might be different, there is a need to optimize. So let's say an organization is still running their supply chain on outdated tech or spreadsheets. If a company wanted to move to an adaptive supply chain, what's the best place to start? 
Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny, a lot of people do use Excel and Excel is a, a wonderful tool, but it's also um, a very dangerous tool. And uh, somebody in our company, uh, Glenn Graney, he likes to say that Excel is basically an undocumented customization, the worst kind. And what are some of those problems? Well, there is no one version of the truth, right? So everybody's got their own Excel documents. There's version control issues. They may not be up to date. It's hard to run a company when you can't agree on the data. And also prone to error. So how many times have you received a uh, Excel spreadsheet and somebody's hard-coded over a formula, right? And so you don't even know that the data that you're looking at is wrong. So a lot of challenges there. So where does it start? Well, it starts not with the tool, but with the practices, right? So first of all, embrace the best practices within supply chain, within manufacturing, and then leverage tools that were built around those best practices. And, and our belief is those are cloud-based enterprise solutions um, that are tailor-made, providing one single truth of the proof, uh, one single point of the truth, and uh, aren't prone to errors. And, uh, control quality, process, and workflow. Now, now, Carter, in my conversations with a lot of people, uh, especially with this crazy things have been over the last couple of years, people are pretty much firefighting in a lot of industries across the board, most of the ones that we support. So how do we get the management teams of these companies who are constantly fighting one issue after another to say, hey, you have problems you have to deal with, but this might be the time to put in that time and effort to do this, what you just said. So how do, how, what are some things we can do to help these people get a little more relaxed at this, you know, now's the time to do this? Yeah, yeah, very good point. And to some extent, I think people feel it's never the right time. And they're probably right, but it's only gonna get worse because the more change that we have, the more things are gonna break, the more firefighting is going to happen, uh, which not only allows us less time to be able to deal with the root causes, but less time to even deal with the fire and then, you know, kind of game over. So I think the, the first step is to recognize that uh, the fire was caused by something. So let's find the root cause of that fire and put it out or prevent it from happening again. And so let's just take an example around um, shipping, right? So if you're looking at your shipping spend and you're realizing that it's too high, one thing to do would just say, okay, well, let me follow some best practices around shipping itself and let me go out to multiple different shippers and see if I can get that price down in terms of what I pay. But perhaps the reason why you're paying so much is because you're doing a lot of expediting and that's happening because you're not planning correctly. So the true cause is either, let's say in manufacturing or in planning. And if I solve that, I solve not only the shipping problem, but probably a lot of other downstream problems that were being uh, driven by that. So it really starts with taking that step back, looking for the root causes, thinking holistically, and trying to solve it there. Carter, what are the critical capabilities an organization can develop to meet the future supply chain challenges? And what sort of challenges can we expect? Yeah, so I'd say if there's there's three pieces of advice, it would probably be first recognition. So the recognition that we need to simultaneously optimize for efficiency, agility, and resilience, not just one of them, not just one of them based on what my pain point is today, but it's it's all three of those over time is the path to success. Also commitment. So align to those best practices. Don't latch on to a particular product that you currently have or a tool set that you think is going to work. Start with best practices and then build from there. And finally, focus. So absolutely stay the course. Avoid solving yesterday's problems. And I know this sounds crazy, but plan for the unplannable by creating that capability to be adaptive. 
Those are very good points. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, next question I have for you. Is uh, at QED, we're always talking about not solving yesterday's problem. And things are moving pretty quick. But without a crystal ball, it's kind of hard to see what's going to happen next. So what areas of supply chain should companies focus on uh, to be ready for that next surprise uh, and to be have that adaptive supply chain? Yeah, um, fully agree with everything that you're saying. And I think, you know, as humans, we kind of suffer from this recency bias. We think about the last thing that happened to us and we tend to focus on that. And I would say the next challenge that we face is likely not a pandemic. It's not going to be a ship blocking the Suez Canal or a nuclear disaster in Japan or a flood in Thailand. And even if it is, you know, we're probably better prepared for it because we've been through it. And here's where I'm going to get myself in trouble by trying to make predictions. I know I'm going to be wrong, but what, what might we see? So I think short term, um, although currently we're facing you know, shortages, I think what we're going to see is a lot of demand destruction, right? As the Fed does their job and they try to slow the economy a little bit to, uh, to prevent inflation, some demand destruction. So we're starting to see inventories build. and We need to sort of flip to that area. The bullwhip effect is coming through. So as the shortages were happening, people were double and tripling order. Now those orders have been fulfilled. What are we going to do with all the stuff we don't want? And of course, even when you've got you know the right amount of inventory, it's not always the right inventory. Sometimes it's the wrong inventory. So these supply guts need to be sort of worked through. Are we going to have a hard landing or a soft landing to the economy? I don't know, but we need to be prepared for it. I think in the midterm, we're going to see persistently high energy costs. Right. So you could have two companies that seem completely competitive now, but as energy costs go up, they may favor one or the other. So how are we going to adapt our supply chains to minimize the impact of energy costs and then long term deglobalization? So although we may have chased efficiency, now we need to focus a little bit more on how we can also manage agility and resilience. And that's going to change the nature of our supply chains and, and where they sit. And of course, the truth is I'm likely to be wrong on a lot of these things, but I think it's that process of planning where a lot of the value comes through. And, and all it points out to is the need to be adaptive. Carter, what would you say are the biggest advantages of implementing a best practice demand and supply chain planning process? Sure. So I think, I think one of the key attributes would be this tight coupling of supply and demand so that I don't need a lot of extra slop in the system, so that I have less inventory, which equals less cost, which equals less risk because I don't have to worry about carrying the wrong inventory. Also scenario planning. So this ability to start to envision various different alternatives for the future and look at how we would architect our supply chain and our manufacturing plans to meet those visions and then where they completely fail, realizing that we probably need to do some engineering of our supply chain to be able to overcome that. So we're proactively creating these playbooks that we can put out there. And then also developing a demand-driven supply chain. So not just looking at the demand from your customer, but from their end customer, so that you're reducing some of the nervousness in the ordering and you're creating something that will be smoother and uh, lower the impact of the bullwhip and these huge fluctuations uh, these boom-bust cycles that we want to try to eradicate. Well, Carter, this has been extremely informative, and we can we can probably spend all day talking about some of this stuff, and you and I have. <laughs> In the past, we've spent many hours just going through this, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And this was a perfect example of um, why we're doing this Tomorrow Supply Chain podcast, and 
for the future. This is going to be food for thought and going to be a benchmark and kickoff uh, for where we go from here. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We're going to be excited to bring you more episodes of this. You can watch our live stream on Q80 Precision, Q80 Guidance's LinkedIn pages, and you can tune into our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere else you keep podcasts. So thanks again, Carter, for joining us. And Laura, what's on tap for our next episode? Yeah, so thanks, Stephen. Um, tune in next month when QAD's Charlie March joins us for our second episode titled Your Disruptors Are Wearing Disguises. I'm actually really looking forward to that one. It should be good. Yeah, that's uh, the title is very intriguing. So again, Laura, thanks, Carter, and you as well. And thanks again for tuning in to tomorrow's Supply Chain Podcast brought to you by QAD. We'll see you next time.